Hello and welcome to Axlander, a podcast about and for all of you who have left their home to find a new one abroad. New Year's here and started with a real bang here on Axlander. If you want to enjoy some epic fun as we start into the new year, have a listen to the first episode of 2021 with Chris Reed, a passionate entrepreneur who found his new home in Singapore. He's a top-class LinkedIn marketing expert, author of best-selling books on how to sell yourself on LinkedIn, an expert on personal branding, and a really, really fun guy. It's been a ride to be talking to someone who could easily have his own show. And to find out more, go to LinkedIn and type in Chris, the only CEO with a mohawk read, and then you'll know what I'm talking about, this whole epic fun. Well, the way I see it, Axlander is becoming a truly dynamite show in 2021. So sit back, have a listen, and enjoy. Today, I'm talking to Chris Reed, the only CEO with a mohawk. So he's joining us live then from Singapore. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, how are you doing, Ivor? It's almost beer time. So yes, almost approaching our evening time here. Right. Okay. How did you celebrate the new year then in Asia? I mean, I mean, as, as same as everybody else does. I mean, over here, they, they don't celebrate Christmas and New Year quite as much as the UK. Uh, it's very much, you know, not really. I mean, it's not a Christian country. It's, a, you know, it's a multi-ethnic, multicultural country. Majority of people here are Buddhists rather than Christians. Um, there's many atheists here as there are Christians. Uh, I'm personally an atheist. So basically, Christmas is very much a commercial thing, which in previous years was used to create, uh, attract tourists to our main malls. But obviously this year it didn't. Um, but people still obviously... You know, give each other presents or whatever, um, but it's just not celebrated in quite the same way as it is over there. And the same thing with New Year. New Year is quite, it's not quite, I mean, because Chinese New Year happens in February, um, and that's the big thing where the, literally the whole place kind of closes down, which doesn't happen on Christmas. Everything was open on Christmas. Chinese New Year, everything's like closed for those couple of days. Uh, and people give gifts, and it's more about social, um, the social side of things. And in previous years, people would go home to their particular countries. But obviously this year, it's going to be very much more about people celebrating in Singapore itself. I mean, we're about 67% you know, Chinese population. So you're going to expect it to be more about you know uh, Chinese New Year than it is about Christmas. And that's, but it is in Singapore, it's unique because we celebrate Muslim holidays, uh, Hindu holidays, we celebrate Buddhist holidays, and we celebrate Christian holidays. And there's no particular bias to any particular one. We just celebrate them all. And that's mm-hmm. brilliant because it teaches people straight away. I mean, my kids learn about you know Muslim holidays and Hindu holidays. They never do that in the UK. I never learned about Muslim holidays in the UK ever. You know, it's only really when I came until I came to Singapore that I learned about you know the kind of the Muslim holidays and the celebration and, and things like the Hindu holidays, like Diwali and that kind of thing. And you talk and learn about Eid, and then you learn about the Buddhist holidays and you know all these things, which you just get don't get taught in the UK at all. It's very much about you know it's it's Christian and Anglo-Saxon in the UK, and what on earth is the rest of this? You know, and it's just so close-minded. It sums up Britain really in terms of being completely close-minded. You know, well, we're gonna we're gonna deal with ourselves. We're gonna talk to ourselves, and we don't need these people in Europe or America or anybody else. It's like, what are you doing? And the Singapore is completely opposite. You know, it's very much about you know celebrating all faiths and all cultures and all creeds and all the rest of it. So that's you know one of the reasons why I'm very attracted to you know the, the way it works and it's it's humanization really of treating everyone as a human rather than you know like specifically talking about specific sectors as you know as if they're aliens for example which is what happens in the uk and the us at the moment <laughs> right so that is singapore and that is a, clearly a melting pot of many cultures so is this something that attracted you is this something that you like about singapore i did not know so i've uh, the um 
I, I became an entrepreneur over here. So I just finished my my fourth business in the UK, um, my third business, sorry, and I wanted to create another business, but it was either I stayed in the UK or I came over to Asia. So it's very much about, you know, life-changing decision. I was about to hit 40 years old and either like I was going to make a move or I wasn't going to make a move because there's no way you make a move after the age of 40. Not really. You've got too many roots going there. So it was there kind of now or never. So, you know, coming over here was um, I use LinkedIn to actually do it. And that's why I started getting to LinkedIn because I reached out to people and said, Hey, how are you doing? Um, I've got you know 200 connections in London. I've got these people here. Can I meet you in Singapore? They're, yeah, let's have a drink. Let's have a meeting. Let's go. And I got my, my first couple of jobs here by networking, by using LinkedIn. Those jobs were networking, were jobs around LinkedIn. And that's why I started basically getting into, you know, how does Singapore work and learning about the culture and learning about the logistics and learning about Indonesia and Philippines and Thailand and China and Australia and all these other countries around Singapore that it's very easy to get to, which again is completely different to the UK. So again, the UK, London, I was an entrepreneur in London having mm-hmm. escaped from Newcastle in the north of England and I became an entrepreneur in London and it's very much people in London basically is a different country to UK I mean they vote they did they voted to remain you know that kind of thing they voted for Labour I mean they're completely different to the rest of the United Kingdom and they treat themselves differently and people outside of London hate people inside London and people inside London hate people outside of London and it's very much like that so I was an entrepreneur there doing business people within London occasionally right. you might get a client elsewhere Edinburgh Glasgow Manchester Leeds whatever but the exception to the rule but we'd never get a brief for the whole for Europe ever I never had a brief once in my whole 20 years of being an entrepreneur and a marketing entrepreneur in London okay. whereas over here my first brief was the whole of Asia Pacific I'm going the whole of Asia Pacific what do you mean the whole, like two-thirds of the world's population yeah get on with it and it's just common here to basically people say oh, I'm going to target China and India and Indonesia and Australia and China. we're going to go to the Southeast Asia and the ASEAN countries and uh, go to um, going to go to Tokyo and do um, Korea and Taiwan and it's just natural it's like going to you know Sheffield or Leeds or Manchester or Glasgow in the UK it really is it's like you hop on a plane you're there in a couple of hours the same as you hop on a train and you're there in a couple of hours and that's why Cheng Changi is the best airport in the world because you just literally you know everyone's half an hour away you just check in you get on your plane you get the destination you do some business you come home and within half an hour you're home again again it's contrast to the UK where you have Heathrow which is like miles away from anywhere that anyone lives to you know literally years away you know Gatwick's even further it's like a different country um and you have the other you know the city uh, ones the rest of all the ones in you know up, uh, up in the north and it's completely different it's like they think about the logistics here in terms of do people want to spend three hours getting home once they've had a 15-hour flight no they don't they want to get home as quickly as possible and they basically enables you to do that so they've thought it all through in terms of where you know what better place to be situated with the targets the whole of asia because hong kong is really too far north sydney is too far south um, and you wouldn't trust places like you know uh, KL and Bangkok and Manila because they're just car crashes in terms of you know how they're run and their airports and that kind of thing they're just you just you know as you can see with COVID the only three countries in, the, in, in Asia which are struggling are the most corrupt countries India Indonesia Philippines no uh, you know this is like you know the other ones are strict you know either either communist or their military rule you know, Vietnam Thailand or they're like ours for example you know a single party now, or like Hong Kong, for example, ruled by China. So, so all these countries basically have got rid of COVID as a result of being very, very strict and the population then trusts it or basically knows the, the repercussions if they don't trust it. And that's the other thing I find amazing at the moment is the contrast between East and West. It's like East has basically sorted it out. Even Australia and New Zealand, which would never be regarded as a West, as, a, as an Eastern country, it always regarded as, you know, it's very much a Western country, lots mm-hmm. of Brits there, lots of Europeans. 
but even they have had ferocious lockdowns and ferocious, you know, unlike the UK. I mean, it's phenomenal looking at how Melbourne and Sydney have dealt with COVID uh, comparative to the UK, because the, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, two cases, and they shut the whole thing down. You know, you're not allowed out, you're not allowed to do this. Whereas in the UK, they're going, oh, we might have a kind of lockdown. Once 50,000 people are dead and we have another half a million people injured and we have all these people, the hospitals all backed up. Maybe we'll think about having a lockdown. And our lockdown's not a serious lockdown. You can still breach the lockdown. and You, you get a little fine if you get caught and you post on Instagram and you don't get anything else. You don't get put in jail. You don't, you rip, your, your work pass doesn't get ripped up. You don't get kicked out of the country. And it's like, what's going on? No wonder you've got so many bloody cases going on. Your hospitals are full and people are dying left, right and centre. It's because you have no control and the, also the population doesn't respect you and doesn't mm. follow through on the law. Whereas over here, they, they basically, if you breach any of this, literally your work pass gets cut up. If you have a work pass, you get kicked out of the country. If you're mm. Singaporean like me or PR, you basically get put in prison. Because they don't, they don't screw around here. They're basically mm. a rule is a rule, and if you break the rule, there are repercussions. You know, so it's you know, as a result of it, we don't have any crime. You know, whereas right. the UK obviously has a massive amount of crime, and the US has even more crime. But uh, you know, so it's it, that kind of cultural change is is phenomenal to see. You know, women here can walk home at three o'clock in the morning, and they won't be touched. You know, they're completely safe. Yeah, it's probably the safest place in the world for women. I mean, the, the place. I mean, a lot of Asian countries are. Hong Kong is also very safe in terms of very very low crime. Um, and the contrast is fantastic because it basically it makes a hell of a difference if you basically you don't have to worry about your your wife or your partner or your uh, your daughter or whatever, and, and they can just go out and have fun. You know, they're going to get home safely rather than you know in the UK you'd be worried about them being you know car jacked or knifed or drugged or beaten up or kidnapped or whatever you know so it's again very very different the the two, the two cultures mm-hmm. well then you come from the uk and we've got from so many you know from one topic to so many others and it's definitely very very interesting uh about talking about how how the asian countries and as you mentioned australian and new zealand are are, are dealing with covid because i was uh, also on Exlander, i was speaking to a, a czech girl who moved to australia and she said basically they're doing okay yeah. While Europe is having severe lockdowns, they were just, you know, going out to parties and, you know, being really, really okay. So yeah, there is quite a lot of difference. But like, let's let's get back to your your story, like your original, like you you Chris, I mean, from the UK. So you say you stem from Newcastle, right? Yes. We can't really hear much of Newcastle dialect there. <laughs> and I've left when I was 19 years old. You know, I realized pretty quickly there's no jobs in Newcastle. People in marketing. You know, a quarter of a million people live in Newcastle. It's very small. Um, you know, and I worked for, you know, I, I, I worked at the radio state, the, sorry, the uh, record shop there. And I did my uh, business degree there. My, not my business degree, my Newcastle, my uh, marketing diploma. Um, but I realized I would have to get a job in London if I was to progress in marketing in the UK. So that's what I did. I set out to do that. And I've ended up with a job in uh, in London, which is a different country, effectively, from Newcastle. You know, people <laughs> from Newcastle dislike people from London because they think it's another world. It's 300 miles away, but it could be 3 million miles away. So it's chalk and cheese in terms of attitudes. And But you still have family over there, right, in the north? Like in Newcastle, you still have like... But, but I, I, I never go back because basically it's, it's completely alien to me now. I mean, I didn't go back much when I lived in London. Um, only to watch the football, for example, because unfortunately I'm a Newcastle uh, United football fan. Um, but it's very much, you know, my sister's the opposite. My sister's like, you know, she she moved to Sheffield. She met her sweetheart in Sheffield who came from Sheffield. They still live in Sheffield. They will always live in Sheffield. You know, and that's what the most of the population of the UK is like. It's like they they might move one place, but, but all they, they, nine times out of ten, they tend to stay in their own village or town mm. or city. And that's where they'll always be for the rest of their lives.
This was something that was never sort of appealing to you, like to settle at a at a certain place, right? Oh, yeah. Too restless, too restless for that kind of thing. I get bored very easily. So I, the thought of being in Newcastle all your life would like I'd rather top myself, I think, rather than being in Newcastle all my life is like. I mean, literally, it's like, you know, I grew up there, I went out there, I now worked in a nightclub there, worked in a record shop there, and that was basically, that was the, that was, I could not see myself doing anything else there, apart from being a very small fish in a very small pond. Whereas you go to London, you're suddenly, you're kind of like a small fish, but you're in a big pond and you can learn so much and meet so many interesting people and the entrepreneurs there, there's so much money there, and there's so many creative opportunities there. And if you like meeting business people as I do and founders and entrepreneurs, London's the place to be. it always will be and despite what you know manchester and leeds and newcastle try and say or glasgow whatever you have more founders more entrepreneurs more money there which obviously dictates where it's a bit like zurich you know zurich is like london it's like singapore it's like hong kong that's where the entrepreneurs go to they the migrate to the home. place where the opportunities are and yet you did decide then for singapore and lost basically your uk citizenship i mean so london is not an option for you in the in the future i didn't lose it i renounced it Ah, you renounced it, right. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. I choose to renounce it because I was a passport it. holder, obviously. Okay. And then I became a citizen after 10 years of being in Singapore because obviously my roots are here now, my business is here and so forth, my family's here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I renounced it. And literally it was fantastic because you literally have to go, I renounced the government of the United Kingdom, I renounced the Queen, I renounced stupid Boris Johnson, um, I renounced <laughs> all that. And you have to pledge allegiance to the Singapore uh, Republic. So you basically, I'm now a you know, citizen of the Republic of Singapore and you have to pledge allegiance to it. So and you can only have one passport here so right. a lot of people kind of queried what i did because a lot of people here maybe have two passports maybe have australian passport and a british passport an american passport and australian passport but singapore doesn't allow that singapore only allows one passport so you have to choose mm-hmm. so they know you committed because you only have to you only have basically have one passport but going back to london is that an option is it something that you'd like to do in the future or is your home and is your base yeah. in singapore yeah. No, I mean, like, you know, I spent 20 years in London and that was, that was enough. That's it. You know, I, I, I learned a lot. I met a lot of people and the rest of it. I can never imagine going back. When the last time I went back was like five years ago and it was like an alien country. It really was like an alien country. It was going like, you know, how on earth did I survive here for so long? Because I find it now so closed and so was backward. And so basically, you know, the complete opposite of Singapore, basically, which is very open and very much about, you know, let's do business with everybody. Whereas I find London very, you know, dark and especially that the weather doesn't help. Um, and that's one of the reasons I moved to Singapore is the weather. It's complete. It's summer all year round here. It's a tropical island. It's on the equator. So basically, you know, it gets down to maybe 26, 27 degrees at nighttime, but it's still 80% humidity. Um, and normally it's 36, 37 during the day and it's bright sunshine. It's beautiful sunshine at the moment. And it's, you know, um, and that is a massive contrast because it means you can network every single day. I mean, I go out every single night as much as I can to network um, because you can. It's very easy. Everyone lives within half an hour of else um, mm-hmm. and you can basically meet people quite easily and go out for drinks with quite easily or restaurants or the rest of it so it's a fantastic place to network whereas london was quite challenging i used to live in north london uh, the city hubs in like canary wharf which was like an hour and a half away i mean on the huge, on the yeah. tube, it's like an hour and a half away yeah. um, and even getting from one side to the other is about two hours on the tube so it's it's not a quick thing to do to oh let's meet up for a drink you have to plan it weeks in advance and then of course you'd have tube strikes and then of course you'd have the darkness and you'd have the you know the, the 
like the the darkness just basically you know you'd wake up in the dark and you basically go home in the dark as it is now in whatever it is now january and it's snowing and it's raining and it's miserable you just want to go home and watch tv kind of thing and it's not really conducive to going out there and meeting people where singapore is mm-hmm. yeah so somebody says to me let's go for a beer i go yeah let's go for a beer okay we'll meet tomorrow or meet t- yesterday or meet today or whatever and the same thing i can ask people and say oh do you fancy a beer because basically um it's very easy to do it and that's an amazing i think that's quite an asian thing i mean i find mm-hmm. the same thing in hong kong um sydney not so much because sydney is a bit backward when it comes to that a lot of sydney is actually shut down at nine o'clock um which is really uh, kind of slightly bizarre but mostly asian cities are quite you know let's go out it's very convivial it's very networking friendly it's very you know let's have a beer let's go out and get to know each other kind of thing okay and then talking about home so is your home your family is now in singapore your kids were born in singapore yeah so then my kids were born here and then i got divorced mm-hmm. um so i still i still have my kids here um i have one son in the uk who's at southampton university at the moment um uh, and then i have my my wife here for example is malaysian chinese um so basically she flies for singapore airlines mm-hmm. um, so my roots are here based local school yeah my kids got a local school here and they mix with other singaporean kids you know so um you know they get to know chinese and they get to know you know the culture and all that kind of thing so it's it's very good for them and my ex-wife is, is still here example she's an entrepreneur here mm-hmm. um so basically you know i would never that's one of the reasons why i never go back to london mm, as well it's yeah like, yeah go on no and then you also don't really from what i understand is that you don't really sort of live in this closed expat community right because there's lots of expats in such countries let's say i mean i myself lived in the middle east and there yeah. to get to the locals it is very very hard and so you would end up living in an expat community where everybody speaks a bit of an expat english and you know, you basically have very, very short-term friendships, let's say, you know, unless yeah. unless you really are in touch with the locals. So from what I understand, for you, Singapore is really, I mean, you've got the citizenship, your kids are there, you, they go to the local school and you do get to mingle and, and, and yeah, I mean, you have Singaporean friends. But going back to your earlier point about the transitional, the transient nature, this that is definitely the case here, more so than probably anywhere else in the world, in that people are flown in here, they're made, you know, directors or managing directors or see business, and they're here for a year or two years, and then they go back. And especially at the moment, because we had about 150,000 people lost their jobs, and all but 5,000 were expats. So I had lots of my expat friends who basically were here, who then... You know, couldn't get a work pass anymore, for example, because they basically were doing a Singapore first employment thing or they basically just couldn't get a job anymore. So they had to leave the country. So and they went back to the UK or to Europe or to America or to Australia or to China or to Hong Kong or to somewhere else in Asia. Um, so that's happened. That happens massively. Um, and you notice it more on LinkedIn because it pops up and it says so and so has got a new job in the UK or so and so has got a new job in Zurich. You go, oh, wow, but I, I just saw him like a month ago and he didn't say anything kind of thing. Yeah. And that's often the way it works. It's a very transient natured place. And then you get um, people who are more stayers, what I call stayers, who basically are people who commit to the country. Mm-hmm. They set up roots here. They've got a, you know, maybe a family here. They've got the business here. They make local friends. They become permanent residents your citizen for example and they're the ones who stay but they're the minority we're definitely the minority most people here are in transient nature mm-hmm. and they're here working for a multinational i mean we get a lot of people who work for startups or their own startups they're entrepreneurs and they basically come here because the singapore government's very good at incentivizing people to actually come here and work there's lots of grants you can get lots of help financially mm-hmm. you can get particularly if you're going 
know, employ, for example, locals. Um, so that's obviously a great incentive. But a lot of those people might then go to, say, San Francisco um, or you know, to Silicon Valley or to somewhere else, for example, to move their career on or move their, their business on. They might go to Shanghai, for example, if they mm -hmm. want to go to somewhere bigger in Asia. Um, so, but it's a very transient kind of place. So you do get used to making friends and then basically knowing that that friendship's not going to last. But mm -hmm. then you have other people you basically have more consistent friendship with. And what about the locals then? How do they accept you as a foreigner? You know, like, is it, and of course you, you, you work, I mean, and it's, 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 it's business, it's networking, but then um, do you speak Chinese? No, How no, I you... wish I did. I wish I did because then I could understand what my daughter and my son are saying. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> They can have conversations with my wife. I have no idea what they're talking about. No, I, but I, but I, I'm very good. I'm very terrible at languages. I couldn't even do French and German when I was at uh, school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was much more interested in just doing marketing and business than I was in doing French and German. So, um, but also they don't really speak Mandarin. Mandarin no. is kind of it's a it's a Chinglish. So they call it Singlish for a mixture of kind of English and Chinese. And then they call it Chinglish, which is a mixture of kind of um, Singaporean and Chinese. And it's, the, the Mandarin here is very different to the Mandarin they speak in mm. mainland China or even in Hong Kong, you know, the Hokkien or whatever. Mm. You get people here speaking in, in Hokkien or in Cantonese, for example, because uh, they may have roots back to, you know, Hong Kong or parts of that. So it's, uh, there's, and that's what you find in Asia is the dialect, the Mandarin dialect is very different depending on which country you actually come from. Mm. Just because you speak Mandarin in one place, uh, a lot of Singaporeans, a lot of Singaporeans don't speak Mandarin, and they can't, or they can't write Mandarin, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so they they have this the whole new kind of language, which is a, you know a mixture of English and Chinese, um, which basically they communicate with other you know, people with. So um, you know, but no, I mean, no unfriendly comments or. Um... How did you experience that? That would be interesting at the very beginning. In my, I think, second or third job, I wrote a blog about taxi drivers in Singapore. And then I basically, it, it went viral and it wasn't complimentary. It was basically saying they got lost all the time. They couldn't find places and it was so small what they were doing. Um, and basically they don't get trained properly and all the rest of it. And I gave a lot of these examples about what I do. And then it went viral. And then um, somebody gave, basically people kept calling me out to say, well, you can't say this about Singaporean uh, taxi drivers. Mm -hmm. um, and then they put on the front page of a newspaper here. And then that went viral as well. So it was on the media, the radio, radio, the TV, internet, newspapers, the whole thing. I literally, I was a wanted picture basically saying, you know, don't pick up this man from the taxis. I go, oh my God. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so that went viral. And then I got fired from my job as a result of it. So the, the British company I worked for. So it was detrimental. Oh, no, detrimental to, uh, but it also it was a, it was a basically a way of getting noticed as well, because everyone knew who I was. Okay. Good and bad. People, yeah, they basically, yeah. When I phoned people up afterwards, they basically, oh, you're the taxi guy. Right. And to this day, people still say, oh, you're the taxi guy. They still remember why I was fired and why, why that actually happened. So it actually works for me. And I use it in my talks now as well as a result of it. But the, 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 and to answer your question, I got lots of abuse there about, you know, go home and you, know, you white trash and all the rest of it, you go home and all the rest of it. And you get that off the, on the, the sideline, um, kind of like, you know, the reddits of this world, the hardware zones, where you do get the anonymous trolls, for example, like you do in every country, um, mm -hmm. abusing people who are there. And it's quite funny at the moment. I, look, I say it's very funny at the moment because when they try and do it now, for example, like I wrote a blog in, in August, which was also quite, you know, quite like, you know, you know, quite hard hitting kind of thing. Um, and they won't do it on LinkedIn because I can see who they are. Yeah. And then everybody else can see who they are. 
So they'll take it off LinkedIn, they'll put it on an anonymous platform, for example, like Reddit, and then they'll have a go there. And the great thing is people tell me, I don't look at it, but people tell me, oh, you, you know, you've been going viral on Reddit again, you've got like 500 comments. And they laugh their head off because they say that the commentary goes something like this, oh, that Chris Reed's at it again, we should kick him out of the country. And then somebody else, one of the, one of the other trolls goes, oh, he can't, he's Singaporean. And they go, damn, what can we do? I know, we'll report him to his boss. And somebody oh, else goes, okay. uh, uh, no, he can't do that either because he runs his own company. Yeah. Like, damn, what can we do? <laughs> Think what, we'll just abuse him on here. Oh, okay, we'll do that. And it's hilarious because they can't do anything, basically. I can't be kicked out of the country. I can't sack myself. Um, and nobody there is going to become a client anyway. So that's mm. not going to be detrimental to that. So it's mm. like... Um, so you do get that. But I think that's just the nature of the, every single country in the world. Now you have trolls. Yeah. There's not a single country in the world doesn't have this problem. There's not a single country in the world that doesn't have some kind of backlash against foreigners. We've right. seen it manifesting itself most violently in America, in the UK, in parts of Europe, for example, parts of Eastern Europe, particularly. Um, so it happens everywhere. I think you get less in Asia because I think mm -hmm. more I, I've always felt, you know, no one's ever done it to my face because obviously that's it, you know the culture here is very much if they did it to my face, we put in jail. Uh, you know, and if they, you know, so it, it's quite serious repercussions if they were to do it, for example, if they were to become violent or whatever. And this society doesn't condone, you know, violence whatsoever. You literally, you get put in jail, and the jails here are not very nice. Obviously, they're they're the old prisoner war camps the Japanese had, you know, and they're not air conditioned. Um, so it's not the nicest place in the world to be. So basically, there's not a great incentive to actually go and do this kind of thing, even if mm. you feel it. So you basically, it's a more civilized society, and I think that is most of Asia. Um, mm. Is that particularly Hong Kong, uh, China, um, places like Singapore, obviously places like you know KL, whatever. But you do get more violence in other places like India or parts of Malaysia, Thailand, mm. for example, Indonesia. Um, but it's not necessarily racist driven against mm. Caucasians because Caucasians aren't the problem. It's but normally uh, a faith thing. It's normally a Muslim. Right. Um, kind of like Christian, um, you know, all that kind of stuff going mm. on rather than a Caucasian thing. Because there aren't actually that many Caucasians here. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very much in the minority, you know, not necessarily in Singapore, because there's about a million people who are either Caucasian or they're expats from, say, India, for example, or the Philippines or whatever. Um, so you have a large proportion of expats. They're not like it in Dubai. I mean, Dubai is even worse in terms of the amount of um, expats there. Mm. Uh, but here, you obviously, it's very easy to meet expats because they make up about a third of the population, effectively mm. a third to a quarter of the population. Um, so it's, 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 fasc it's a fascinating how the government actually deal with that because obviously they need the expats to come in mm. with the expertise, the money and so forth, and yes. to create jobs. But they also don't want to harm the, um, the public faith and the economy and the public you know basically being employed and so forth as well so it's a real hard balancing act but it's always been very globally focused here it always has been much more so than uh, than the than western countries mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you were talking then about yeah being an expert and you know criticizing certain things is there something that you don't like that you dislike and that you have had to learn or you had to come to terms with how to how to communicate it so that people don't get offended because you you were talking about you were talking about the blog right and you were talking about um the you know the taxi drivers and did, did something did you have to sort of like change something in the way you communicate 
to the locals because you would probably not be as straightforward as you'd be in Europe, let's say, or is there, is there? No, I don't, I think because I come from Newcastle and people in Newcastle just say it as it is. They don't really care what people think. And that's how I was brought up. And that's how I've always been. That's how I was in London. That's how Mm -hmm. I am here. That's why I got into trouble with the blog and I still get in trouble on LinkedIn. And Mm -hmm. I use that as a, as a USP on my biog. I say, look, I'm going to write some polarizing blogs. You don't agree with me. I'm fine with that as well. Just, just unfollow me, you know, Mm -hmm. go away. basically. Um, so no, I haven't. I haven't changed at all. I think people are more accepting because um, as long as you can substantiate why you think that, and that's mm-hmm. the important thing. When I did the taxi blog. I gave you know a dozen examples about what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. I wasn't having a go at a particular race or a particular creed. I was saying all taxi drivers basically don't know the way of doing the X, Y, and Z. Um, so I was used to people in. I was used to the black cabs in London where they can actually. You have to take an exam and all the most of it. That's obviously changed as well because as you get Uber, you don't have to actually learn, you know, where to actually go and use the GPS or whatever, and you still get lost. So that's probably changed dramatically now. Um, but I think, you know, you have to be culturally sensitive. C- certainly, you can't have a go, and I never would have a go, I never have had a go at say religion or race, for example. That's I just draw the line there. You can't yeah. do that on LinkedIn anyway, and I would never do it anyway. I didn't do it in London. Don't do it here. So I've never looked at things in that way. And I think being in London makes you more aware of everyone's the same. Yeah. You know, whether you're gay, whether you're bi, whether you're trans, whether you're black, whether you're you know, Asian, whatever, you're white, you're all the same. And I think being in London and being a minority you know, in London, I mean, practically white people are a minority in London, but you get on with everybody, that gives you a great lesson for coming over here where you're yeah. definitely a minority. Right. You know, there's about 10% of people who are white in Singapore, but about 5% across the whole of Asia take away Australia. So you basically, you're the minority, you're not mm. the majority. So you've mm. got to integrate and you've got to basically accept everybody. And some people have a problem with that um, you know, both ways, but basically, if you're basically just grown up about it and live in a place like Singapore, for example, or Hong Kong, you're much more acceptance of other people. And that really helps. And therefore you don't write stupid blogs as you would do, mm. say, in America um, or the UK, but more so I'm thinking of America here in terms of, you know, you have to have a, a you have to even have an organization like Black Lives Matters, it's like you just wouldn't have to have that over here because every life matters you know it's like unheard of that you'd actually have an organization to protect a particular set of people you know that's why people over here go what on earth is this black lives matters and how did that ever manifest itself how is their lives not worth the same as other people's lives and then you have to talk about institutional racism and so forth and you might get that here but it's not against black people it's more likely to be against white people or against for example religious minorities yeah, yeah. If, if, I, if I may weigh in here, I mean, you're the second person on this podcast who's talking about Black Lives Matter. And I always try to refrain from the political because, you know, I don't I don't want to. No, it's not like you don't want to offend anyone. But, you know, like everybody has their own view on this. But, yeah, you're definitely right, because I was actually in the previous interview. I was talking to Francis Stepan, who's been, you know, whose who's wife is from Cameroon. She's African. And uh, basically her wrap up on Black Lives Matter, you know, living in L.A. or no, in, in San Francisco. Sorry. She was like, if you want to see Black Lives Matter, you know, come to Cameroon. I mean, you're actually having a great life. So uh, it is very simplified. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to simplify it that way. But it is definitely interesting what you're saying. But I was asking this and always pointing to this is that many expats feel, I mean, there are expats and expats, right? There are those expats who come to a certain country and they just nag and complain how everything is like, I mean, they're, they're there for the dollar, right? Or for the for the KD or for the, you know, for whatever currency that is used. And everything is stupid and nobody knows how to speak English. And I'm like, you know, hey, um, and weather and so on. 
that's not going to change. But what you mentioned, I mean, after a certain time, and I'm, me myself, like I, I'm also double citizen, so I'm, I'm Czech citizen, I'm a Swiss citizen. So I'm thinking I wasn't raised here. You know, I came here as a guest, but at the same time, you know, I've got a citizenship. Am I allowed to criticize? And if yes, how? You know, how much criticism is allowed? And am I allowed the same same sort of line as the locals who were, like as my husband who was born and raised here? Like, this is still the question. How how much is allowed? So I don't know whether it's something that you were... Uh... Oh, yeah, no, man, but it's, it's a good point you raise, for example, because it's particularly relevant here for expat wives or partners. Yeah. Because you have basically these wives and, and and husbands as well who come over, but normally it's the wives who complain. Yeah. Because the, the husbands come over, big banks brought them in, for example. They have to come over with the kids of international school. Now, they suddenly come over and it's suddenly 38 degrees and it's 80% humidity. And they're going, oh, my God, the heat and oh my god I want the seasons and oh my god why don't they give me fish and chips or whatever you know where's you know where are this happening why does this happen why does no one speak English all these kind of things and they don't last very long normally find that they go back very very quickly because they basically got other they got other expat wives to complain about they got nothing to do apart from drink wine at midday or whatever or you know try and form some kind of you know expat wife society kind of thing because they're all bored wait for the kids to come home because mm. uh, they've got to help her as well because they don't even have to do that they've got to help her look after the uh, house they've got to help her to look after the kids uh, that's a very asian thing right as well i mean in the middle east in asia i mean you've got all the maids and all that i mean this is something just like non well non-existent oh yeah totally but also it's very empowering i mean my ex wife for example was able to go to work immediately after we gave as she gave birth because we had a helper who could look after our kids right now you can't do that in the west because the the nannying is so expensive they don't do nighttime and they only work you know my first wife was basically she had a nanny from like you know nine o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon and that was it there's no nighttime there's no daytime sorry no weekends and so she had to come home and basically you know or you know one of us had to come home it's normally her um as the situation is and then basically you know look after the kids for example so um that doesn't happen here because you have the help or you have several helpers for example from indonesia or malaysia or sorry malaysia and um, philippines who will look after it and they're getting paid obviously you know, you know more than they would get paid if they were stayed in the country and that's the mm. the, the discrepancies over here in terms of money mm. uh, is people can come to places like singapore which is the most costly place in the whole of the world yeah. along with places yeah. like hong kong yeah. and tokyo um, and basically earn much more money than they ever would do living in their own country um so but it doesn't empower you but what it means to an expat wife for example or an expat husband who's not working is they've got nothing to do so then it's up to them to make a good situation to this start a business, which is what I've met. Some people do, you know, do they try and get a job themselves, for example, and actually form a, a roots here? Or have they already decided that they're only here for one year or two years, pick up the money, pick up the promotion for the husband and then go back to America or UK or, or Europe or Zurich yeah, or you yeah. know, somewhere else, Australia. Mm. Um, and that's a different, that's a, that's a mentality set. It's like, are you going to embrace everything or are you just going to criticize it and then basically be one of these nagging kind of like, you know, I want to go home. Yeah, if you're unhappy, then, you know, nobody can really help you. I mean, if you're not willing to change, not willing to open yourself up, mm. it doesn't mean you have to basically go and, you know, suddenly become, you know, live in an HDB and go to that, which is their local kind of like housing and go to the Hawker Center and eat right. it off a spoon. You don't have to basically be that patronizing. And I do find some expats here going, oh, I live in an HDB and I go to the Hawker Center every day and I have $5 <laughs> beers. 
get over yourself. You're not Singaporean, you know, you're an expat here. You're English <laughs> or whatever. Just go to the bar, go to the pub, live in a condo like everybody else does. Um, um, you know, just, yeah. So it's, there's, there's so much you can do with it um, where you basically, you can adapt to the culture, but you're not complaining to it. I mean, like, you know, Josh uh, driving on, you know, going in public transport here is absolutely fantastic because it's air conditioned, it's Wi-Fi orientated, for example, it's a lot cheaper than it is in the UK, for example. Mm. So little things where you can just get into it. And But the weather's the big thing because if you don't like the weather, don't come here. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to change. It's not yeah. going to change. It's, it's the same every single day, all year round. Occasionally we have rainy season when it goes, it goes down to like 24, 25, you know, but that's an exception to the rule. It only happens like a couple of months of the year and sometimes it doesn't even happen. So it's more likely to be in 36, 37s and the 35s of this world and the 28s when it, at nighttime and, you know, 70% of humidity at nighttime than anything else. And it's not going to change. So don't expect the sun. I don't expect, sorry, the rain to suddenly, you know, minus five or snow or spring or the leaves to come off the trees. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you want that, go to a place that has seasons don't come to the tropical island so singapore it is for you i mean that's the that's the decision you made and um yeah you're happy you're content you like it yeah no i mean I, it's very hard not to like i mean it's I didn't talk to somebody the other day and saying, well, where would you go from Singapore? Literally, where would you go? Now that yeah. Hong Kong's a basket case and it's effectively closed down to foreigners and any foreigner there is going to be thinking twice before doing anything, including posting mm -hmm. uh, because of what's happening there. But that's because they're owned by China. And anybody who basically says, oh, no, freedom for Hong Kong, you're going, no, it's already always been owned by China. You don't seem to realize this. It's a Chinese colony. It's like saying Shenzhen or Shanghai or Guangzhou should also suddenly become freedom. It's not going to happen. Mm. You know, it's a... It's like saying the UK, the UK is so hypocritical with this. UK goes, yes, Hong Kong uh, should have its freedom whilst not giving the same freedom to your other places and other people, that kind of thing, or, or invading the, the Falkland Islands, which is Argentinian, basically. And I firmly believe it's still Argentinian, despite the fact that, you know, the, the British kind of like, you know, send a fleet down there to try and rescue it or whatever for a few sheep because of mm -hmm. national pride. But, you know, Hong Kong is, is part of China. Therefore, you accept that or you don't go there. There's no point mm -hmm. arguing or wanting something that's never going to happen, which is democracy. This is something that you, and you, you used quite a nice word for it. And then this is what I find actually uh, as well. The word is patronizing, right? Like it is actually this attitude from, let's say, if we want to call it like politically, the West. Um, they always know what to do better, right? Like you come to a certain place, a certain country, and you start, you know, with your list, like how everything should be run. And it's just like there's different mentality, there are different cultures. And that's why this is some something, you know, what my audience, I mean, people are living all over the all over the world, all over the globe, and they come from a certain country, they live in a in a different place, and they face these these challenges and sometimes meet those expats and they say it's yeah. just like um, yeah, it's great to be globalized. You know, it's great to be um, to be to be traveling to get to know to new cultures. But it's not for everyone, actually. Yeah. It's it's not for everyone. Very very true. Um, and you know, if you're basically expecting you know your your life like it was in the US or the UK to be over here, it's not going to happen. Mm. You have to adapt. You can ad you can bring certain things over here, but you have to adapt. Well, would you like to talk um, as well a bit about your? your entrepreneurship and and LinkedIn and black marketing because that's basically the biggest thing that that you're doing and it basically keeps you awake 24/7 so and you're very very successful so do you want to talk about it what made you take that leap 
Singapore is the perfect place to create my company, Black Marketing, as you can see there. Now going into our ninth year, uh, because it's the place where basically you can meet a lot of entrepreneurs here, like you can in Zurich. It's one of the reasons why Zurich's my second biggest market, for example, because lots of entrepreneurs come to Zurich. Same reason, lifestyle, low taxes, you know, skiing, hiking, seasons. People come yeah. here, low taxes, lifestyle, you know, both logistically, you know, airports, fantastic. Um, and it's basically a place where you can meet entrepreneurs. And then, if, you know, if your audience is entrepreneurs like mine is, then you can meet entrepreneurs and then help them with their LinkedIn profile and make them a rock star on LinkedIn. So you manage their profile, write content for them and do some social selling, you know, to help them generate leads because a lot of people don't realize how to use LinkedIn. So it's mm. all about basically using um, LinkedIn as a way to enhance your personal brand. And everyone these days is online, obviously, because of the COVID situation. So everyone's researching somebody on Google, their LinkedIn's coming up. And then you have to give a positive impression, you know, the banner, the headline, the photograph, the about, and the content. And the content's key. You know, what's your content going about? Is it polarizing? Is it thought provoking? Is it conservative? Is it, you know, how does it manifest? How does it replicate your company? And how does it sell your services? And then how do you generate leads using their platform called Sales Navigator? So we do all this for people. So I've a team of people 25 people in south africa they were growing um, yeah. and basically we because south africa because they're english speaking first and they're english writers first and so not lots of our clients are english or they're american english or australian english or even if they're in zurich they still want to basically write in english because they might be scandinavian or they might be german but they want to target an, uh, a global audience and you can't do that if you're you know just doing it in german or in french or in spanish or whatever or even in mandarin so you have to write probably you know, very good english and you have to basically you know write good content in english and so forth and that's what we do we basically make sure that basically our clients are active on LinkedIn on a daily basis and we help them basically grow their personal brand, their company brands, and we help them basically win leads and win clients, win investors, win employees by using their LinkedIn. But you have to be managing it on a daily basis, which is why I have a business. And how did you come up with that idea years ago? I mean, basically because when I came to Singapore, I didn't know anybody and I used LinkedIn to find my first, my second, my third job. Okay. And those jobs marketing across the whole of the region. And again, didn't know anybody in Asia. How do you find out people in Asia? You use LinkedIn. And this was at a time when people weren't really using it for sales. They were using it for recruitment. So I figured if you could use it for recruitment, you can use it for sales. So how big was your network that time? Because you're quite a... 200. 200. 200 contacts on LinkedIn. And today you've got... 100,000. Hundred thousand, yeah. Wow. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? So you do believe that it is possible to become a LinkedIn rock star, you know, starting with two hundred contacts. Really. Precisely. It doesn't take a lot. If you're really dedicated to do it, it doesn't take a lot. Whether you do it yourself or do it through us, it does not take a lot to actually you know, grow your audience and grow your ability through things like content, for example. And you can always read one of my books, for example, about how you actually do it. <laughs> so I have four books, which are basically on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, um, about you know giving you tips about what to do. Because it's all out there in terms of what you do it. But a lot of the time it's about time. Mm. And you need the time to actually go and do it. If you don't have the time, then basically you can outsource it to someone like ourselves. But you need to do it because one way or the other, your impression on LinkedIn is negative or positive as a result of people looking at it. Mm. And you don't want it to be a negative impression and miss an opportunity because you didn't have put the time in or the effort in or resource in to actually make sure you had a good service and you had good content and you had a good way of actually doing it. And you've got lots of lots of successful stories and 
a very good success rate. Totally. I mean, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be going for any nine years if we weren't you know, successful at what we do. It's very, it's very, you know, you know what businesses are like. The first, you know, a lot of businesses, you know, crash and burn the first couple of years. So to be going for nine years is phenomenal. And also, also have, you know, the books, the Forbes stuff and the power profile stuff, but also got 1600 recommendations of people who've seen me live or have been a client. And that matters as well, because that's built up over time. And that's the credibility factor over time, which obviously takes a lot of time. So these people at the moment basically call themselves LinkedIn experts, you know, are not really because they might be doing it for three months or six months or since covid you know and all these <laughs> kind of it's quite easy you can build it up if your content's good you get a good following you can build it up but you need to take time to actually do it because only one percent of people actually post on linkedin either one percent mm. so if you're someone like you know one percent of people who basically do it then you can get a lot of traction but if you can't be bothered like most people then basically you're never going to get a hundred thousand followers yeah and what about the Forbes uh, stuff? I mean, I read a few articles about how to become a successful entrepreneur and how life is in Singapore. How did you get to that as well? Communication with That's Forbes. Exactly. I've got to say, I'm actually amazed and to everybody who is listening that, you know, a guy who has been on Forbes is now on Xlander. Like, this is great. I mean, welcome 2021. I mean, I'm speechless. <laughs> But that's again about credibility, because the first thing that Forbes look at is your credibility. You know, where's your content? Where's your books? Where's your, your masterclasses? Where's your lectures? Where's your leadership? Where's your business? You know, what have you got to contribute? Because I don't want anybody on there. You've actually got to have something to say and you've got to have some kind of credibility when you actually say it. So they obviously go through the fact I've got four best-selling books and all the rest of it built a business up and I've got credibility in this particular area. It doesn't mean I can talk about anything because I can't just go off on random you know, uh, rants about talk about things I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. You have to basically talk about your expertise. And that's the great thing about Forbes is they have lots of people in different expertises which people can then turn to and they will then promote. Mm -hmm. But was this then your, I mean, when you started with this, did you have like a list? Did you have a goal? And did you know, did you, did you have it hanging somewhere and said, okay, I want to get to this number and I want to get there? Because this is what sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, you know, like, did you? No, did I, you... I enjoy it too much. It's a passion. For me, it's passion. I believe entrepreneurship should be a passion. All my businesses have been born out of passion. Yeah. They've been born out of a need. I've seen a need. I fulfill that need. I'm passionate about that need. In the UK, it was partnership marketing. It was marketing. It was promotions. It was how you bring brands together. And here it's LinkedIn because I used it myself to fulfill my need. My, I, I, there was a gap in the market in terms of, well, how do you find people? Use LinkedIn. Nobody else is doing it. I can help other people do the same thing. So I empower other entrepreneurs. And now I do it all over the world, not just in Asia. I do it in America. Mm. I do it in um, Zurich. I do it in uh, Munich. and do it in Scandinavia, in London, Sydney, Hong Kong. Shanghai because there's still a need and as LinkedIn grows now 720 million people there will continue to be a need mm. and as it grows it basically there'll be more and more more of us actually helping people but more people will actually fall away as they realize it's quite a lot of work mm. you can't just tell people to do it you've actually got to do it that's mm. why my team do it for other people because there's actually quite a lot of work to actually do uh, and that's why you've got to find your niche as any entrepreneur has got to find a niche but you've got to be passionate about that niche there's mm. no point in going into a niche and go it's like me saying oh, i want to do instagram well, i know nothing about instagram. Yeah, exactly. instagram i know zero about instagram i can nothing to contribute about instagram yeah. if i suddenly said i'm an instagram entrepreneur or an Insta instagram like expert people go no you're not don't be ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> you have to know and also i'm not passionate about instagram i don't understand instagram i don't understand how everyone's got a photograph which basically everyone's smiling all the time nothing to say you know i yeah. Yeah. don't understand this i don't understand how the rock has 100 million followers i just don't understand this kind of thing <laughs> but um chris then how do you spend your leisure i mean what do you do when you're not you know rocking it on linkedin 
I'm all, uh, uh, the thing with entrepreneurs is you're all, my father said to me the other day, so did you have a few days off over Christmas? I said, no, I was working Christmas Day, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, because people were actually engaging me on LinkedIn. Right. Because like in Asia, Christmas wasn't even a holiday. Japan and China is not even a holiday. Right. So a lot of places in Asia were actually still at work. And a lot of other people basically didn't respect or basically just, you know, it's just another day. You basically, you look at, you know, what's important to you and what's important to somebody else. Can you help somebody on a different day? Can you share some good content? Can you make someone smile? Can you be a thought provoking? Can you pick up a client? And that's what it's all about. It's about basically, if you're, if you're passionate about it, like I'm going out, you know, for a drink tonight, for example, and that's pleasure, but it's also work. Mm -hmm. I meet somebody who might become a client. So mm -hmm. I'm going to have drinks with him. Worst case scenario is he's got no money, doesn't want to become a client, but we have a drink. I'm going to exchange views. I do the same thing tomorrow, the same afterwards. And that's a great way to spend your leisure time is like going out for drinks with people, basically, who basically you exchanging, uh, you know, talk about being an entrepreneur, talk about being an expat, and then basically might be able to help them. I give them a book uh, and then they might become a client or they might tell somebody else that I, you know, I can help them. And that's how it works. It's kind of word of mouth and that kind of thing. So there is no real line between, mm -hmm. you know, work and pleasure, yeah. work and leisure. It's very much as an entrepreneur, I think you're always on. Even when I go to, I, mean, I picked up clients, for example, at random places like, you know, kids clubs and leisure activities and on a plane back from somewhere in an airport lounge, you know, in a taxi queue, in a, in a, in Shanghai, in a museum. You know, I've picked up clients all over the place because someone says, hey, you're the Mohawk guy from LinkedIn. I need, some <laughs> help with my, I need some help with my LinkedIn. And they're literally random places all over the world, particularly airport lounges. People seem to always be going, you're the LinkedIn guy. I recognize you because the Mohawk kind of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the reasons I do it is and I picked up clients as a result of that and that's yeah. what I mean by always being on even if when you're off you're actually on mm -hmm. you know I've been waiting for luggage for example at the Changi airport after a 15-20 hour flight and someone says hey you're the LinkedIn guy you, I need your help it's like okay let's and we have a meeting like the next day kind of thing like yeah, at an airport lounge because basically he sees you and that's the opportunity otherwise he might not then engage and that's I think what entrepreneurs are always doing is well how can I improve my business how can I iterate how can I go forwards how can i go to the next level and yeah. that's what's great about being an entrepreneur here is that you meet so many fascinating people and because it is transient mm. you're always meeting somebody else who wasn't here last week or mm. the last month or whatever even now people are still coming into the country because singapore still needs expats still needs entrepreneurs to help them run the economy well, it's absolutely fascinating to, to listen to that. And as you said as well, you know, you can go out for a drink. I mean, we're not that privileged at the moment because all the restaurants and bars are closed. I mean, at least here in Switzerland and most of Europe. I mean, Czechia as well. Germany is in lockdown. So, yeah, I mean, but that perhaps does, um, it has something to do with the mentality. And as you said, and you mentioned at the very, very beginning, um, how everything was hesitant in you know shall we do it shall we not do it and you know we can't take this away from people and i can understand you know like those those uh, entrepreneurs who are struggling and who are struggling with you know not being able to provide their business and their services and um yeah people being not i mean i i don't know it's creating us and i try also to avoid the topic covid but it's trying to it, it, it's creating certain weird atmosphere in the society i would say at least here in europe you know like people get suddenly like very moralizing and if you you know if you go outside you know after 9 p.m where there is actually curfew then you're and you go out walk a dog and then you know you're i mean basically you're jeopardizing the whole system and then i'm thinking well you know we just need we just need to use our brains a bit more and 
and um, go about it in a bit of a different way. So this is fascinating how the Asian countries actually have mastered, or well, mastered, nobody has mastered anything, but they've been able to deal with that situation because they already had that experience, right? With oh, the, the before Beforehand. They, they accept the rules here. Obedient, would you say? Is it the word? No. I think obedience is, I mean, pragmatic. pragmatic. I like the word pragmatic. They mm. realize there's no point fighting it. Like, mm. there's a bit like people in Hong Kong. It's like, you know, when I looked at that, the protests of millions of people. I'm going, there's no point. They're literally, you're wasting your time. It's never going to mm. happen. It's not mm. going to change. And sure mm. enough, they had to bring in, a, bring in a law to actually change it. And it's the same in Singapore. Singapore often, often looked at Hong Kong and went, why? Why are you even trying to do this? Because they're totally pragmatic. They're going, Singaporeans are going, we would never protest because we have a very good government who are very competent, one of the best economies in the world, one of the best GDPs, safest place in the world. Why would we want to shoot ourselves in the foot like Hong Kong did and wreck our economy? What is the benefit of doing this when nothing's going to change? And the mm. point there is, if nothing's going to change, why would you try and change it? I mean, it's a bit like, it's different if you're, you know, protecting black lives or whatever, but in Singapore, nothing's going to change if you protest. You can't protest. You accept that. If you don't like, don't like it, don't come to Singapore. Same with Hong Kong. Don't go to Hong Kong and go, I want democracy. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get democracy owned by China. China's not democratic. So basically, you either go to Hong Kong and go, I know I'm not going to get democracy, therefore I'm going to accept this, or you don't go to Hong Kong. Mm. And I think pragmatism when you're an expat is very, very important in terms of re being realistic about where you want to go. If you want to protest, do all that kind of thing, go to San Francisco, go to London, go somewhere where they actually care about you know that kind of thing and they let you actually do that kind of thing. You know, But don't come to a place where they don't. And so because we're we basically know that we know when the government says the lockdown you can't do this you can't do this and it'll be very strict if you do that you're being put in prison you go okay won't do that then and it's just like common sense like don't do drugs in singapore because we can do drugs in singapore you get caned you get killed you get hung whatever you know it's just really not worth it if you mm. want to do drugs go to amsterdam you know go to new york go to san francisco go to berlin if you want to have that lifestyle don't come to singapore so don't complain about not being able to take drugs here because you knew that when you came to the country yeah. So you yeah. can't try and change the entire country. I mean, mm. you can make little sarcastic remarks about taxi drivers as I did, yeah. but you're not going to basically make some changes there, but you're not going to basically change a fundamental point of they do not believe in drugs in Singapore. Mm -hmm. just like they don't believe in any like you know homosexuality is still illegal here technically although they haven't prosecuted anybody for the last you know 15 years whatever because they can't but they can't repeal it either because it's quite a conservative country yeah so basically because it's conservative and people haven't accepted you know gay marriage and things like that they haven't accepted homosexuality i mean it'll come because it'll come to all of asia mm -hmm. at some point but it basically don't come here and expect it to be like this, you know, straight away and try and change it. You can make, you know, small inroads and it'll basically come bit by bit. Hong Kong's changed, you know, Taiwan's changed, you know, other places have changed. Philippines will never change, obviously Catholic country. But, they, you know, so you have to be very pragmatic, I think, being an expat. Mm -hmm. um, and when you come to a place like this, you know you're going to be safe. I mean, you look at the results. We're safe. We have no COVID cases. Mm. You know, and we can travel, you know, and we can travel to different places with green lines with other places who also have no COVID cases. So basically, if you see the results of what they've done, you go, well, obviously this works because they have no COVID cases, as opposed to the chaos in the US or the UK or Europe, then you have to make your own mind up about where you feel the safest. And therefore you follow the rules because right. if they follow, if you follow the rules and the results happen, then you say, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. So like any kind of leader, uh, obviously if they did the rules and he didn't, it didn't happen, you'd be questioning it. But mm -hmm. obviously, yeah, and basically you have gaps like you have places like Philippines, which is totally corrupt and so forth, where they let you know people get out and the, the COVID situation is not in control. Or Indonesia have no control whatsoever in Indonesia. Um, but that's just Indonesia. You know, so it's basically um, 
if you basically see the results, you're more likely to then say yes. I mean, pragmatism, I think, is a big part of Asia as Chinese culture. It's a big part of why you believe in the leader of that particular country. And the last topic, perhaps, for um, for this episode, what about your wife? So you mentioned that your wife is Malaysian, Malaysian Chinese, sorry. How does she like Singapore? I mean, was she born and raised there? Is she an expat? Did she come because of you? She's an ex- yeah, she's an expat. No, she um, works for Singapore Airlines. So she uh, is an expat here, just like I am. Right. Most Malaysians obviously come here because Singapore used to be part of Malaysia. Um, so it's quite easy to get work passes and permanent residency and Sing- being a Singaporean. Mm-hmm. Many of the uh, stewardesses on Singapore Airlines are, in fact, Malaysian. Um, so it's, you know, it's that kind of, um, so she lives a lifestyle here. Obviously, it's much safer and cleaner and you can earn more money than you can do in Malaysia. I mean, Malaysia mm-hmm. is one of these one of these weird countries where they don't seem to have much control. The politics is just a mess. And and they have corruption and so forth as well. Whereas mm-hmm. Singapore's outgrown Malaysia, which is one of the reasons why when it left, it became a bigger country, more successful country mm-hmm. um, as a result of it. So you know, oh, she loves it. I mean, a lot of Malaysians love it here. A lot of Malaysian country culture here. Uh, if you're Malay, which is the Muslim side of uh, Malaysia, I mean, that's the national language of Singapore. Malay is the national language of Singapore. Mm. So there's lots of Malays in Singapore, but you have Malay and you have the Chinese. Now, in mm. Malaysia, um, the Chinese are a second-class citizen, effectively. The, the Malays get all the benefits, whereas in Singapore, it's all equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Malaysians often come here, plus that you can earn more money in Singapore than you can do, and you have a better life in Singapore than you would do in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about your family back in the UK. Um, you said that you haven't visited for quite a long time. I mean, even pre-COVID. So... Do you get to, I mean, meet your folks on certain occasions or have they visited you in Singapore or how do you deal with that? Dad's been here twice. My mum's been here, I think, once. My sister's never been here. Um, so, But you just get, you know, when they were in the UK, I didn't necessarily see them a lot in, in London either. So it's, mm-hmm. um, you just basically form a new, I mean, I'm very good at basically forming, you know, new partnerships, new family, new businesses. And mm-hmm. again, you're going to move forwards, don't move backwards. I mean, that was my past. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. talk to them on Zoom or talk to them on WhatsApp or whatever. But that's my past, not my future. Yeah. And my future is here. And I'm building a future now with my company and my family here. So that's right. You always move forward. And Singapore's, um, you know, it has a, a, a brand stroller um, strap line called uh, Majula Singapore, which is basically onward Singapore. And that's mm-hmm. very much how I focus as well. As an entrepreneur, you want to go forwards. You want to go backwards. You want to go forwards. Right. Yeah. That's why. So if they want to come here and visit, that's great. But I'm not going to go back to the UK anytime soon. So you know, yeah. this is the future. The future is yeah. in Singapore. What about your kids then? I mean, do they do they get in touch with them, like with your English part of the family, or? I'm I'm asking more about this because sometimes for grandparents, this might be a bit you know, a bit hard to accept, you know, that their grandkids are... Occasionally, yeah, occasionally. But um, they, uh, they, they, again, kind of pragmatism, they have to, either they have to come over here or we have to come over there. I don't really want to be going back to the UK, so it really is up to them to come over here. And obviously, yeah. you know, given the situation in the UK at the moment, it's more beneficial to come over here and have a nice yeah. tropical weather and so forth and life's lifestyle as well. Right. Unfortunately, I've got a five o'clock, so I'm going to have, unfortunately have to go in a minute. I've got a Zoom. I know, I know. Yeah, great. Well, then... Um, Thanks so much for your time, Chris. I mean, it's been amazing. I hope it's not the last time that we were chatting to each other online. No, well, I hope I can meet you in Zurich either this year or next year, sometime soon. Yes, hopefully the travel restrictions are not going to be lasting that long. Thank you very much for taking your time. I really appreciate this. And I think it's going to be amazing for our listeners and for the growing audience. Have a great time in Singapore. See ya. Bye. Bye.